This morning we're going to continue to learn from 2 Timothy, and we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We saw last week how Paul is preparing Timothy, continuing to give him a background in how to fan into flame the gift that God has given him. And we know that as Paul did this, he taught Timothy that he would have opposition, that people would come against him. And Paul focuses him on the scriptures and on how to use them well, both from what he has already learned and what he is continuing to learn. And because the scriptures are such a big topic and so important one for us, I decided to take verses 16 and 17 this week just by themselves as Paul steps back and tries to draw a summary of the scriptures and their importance. But first, let's read through the whole of the chapter. Second Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sin and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be made plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work.
We saw when Andy opened the service that he read from Joshua, and this is just one of many, many examples of how important the scriptures are when the Lord tells Joshua to understand and know the word of God. It continues throughout the Bible, but another good example is Nehemiah. Nehemiah comes back and out of the Babylonian exile and begins to rebuild the wall. When the wall is complete, they celebrate, and one of the things that they do is read the book of the law. And there are Levites scattered around to understand it because Nehemiah and Ezra, who read it, tell the people, this is so important that we must start here. We must start with God's word, with what the covenant is and what it means to us. And they're told not even to grieve over the ways that they've failed the covenant. But this is where we get the quote that the joy of the Lord is our strength, is after the reading of that word. And that is how we gain insight into seeing that the Lord has joy in His people, His covenant people, knowing His word, and that is their strength. Now Paul begins to instruct Timothy in the same way, or continues, rather, to instruct, instruct Timothy in the same way. As persecution comes, as difficulty, suffering, he directs him to continue on in pursuing the word of God. Paul briefly steps back to summarize what this means. And the way that I'll summarize him is as answering the question to the title of the sermon this morning. What good is the Bible? I'll do that with our big idea, which is God inspired the Bible to prepare us for every good work he expects from us. So one more time, that's God inspired the Bible to prepare us for every good work he expects from us. So the way we're going to go through this is I'm going to just break down that main idea. We're actually going to watch it start from the beginning and grow until the end. And hopefully it will be fairly easy to follow along with because it will be consistent with what our text actually is for today. Verses 16 and 17 of 2 Timothy 3. So we start with God inspired the Bible. Now when we talk about the Bible, this is the same thing that Paul's speaking about when he says all scripture. He we talked about last week, has told Timothy that he's familiar with these things. These are the things of the Old Testament. And he's also familiar with the teachings of Paul, the New Testament. And in both these areas, Timothy has been taught well. So we look at our own area of understanding and see whether we understand the Old and New Testaments. Now there's a great 
area that we could investigate called apologetics, where it means figuring out how the Bible is true, why the Bible is true, being able to give an answer if someone came to us and says, is the Bible really true? We could say, yes, these things are the way that we know the Bible is true, but we don't have enough time for that this morning. And that's normally done better person to person anyway, talking with someone and working those things out. But one thing I think we can quickly say about it is that Jesus thought very highly of the Bible. Just the way that Jesus thought about it and talked about it is present in the Gospels and tells us the way we should think about it. So he does things like talk about all the parts of the Old Testament. When he says that it's fulfilled in him, he talks about all the prophets and the Psalms being fulfilled in him. This would have been the, a common summary of the entire Old Testament. This this is how he thought of the Old Testament, that it is it is true. And he mentioned it all as one one block. And the Old Testament that he had at that time is the same one we have now. He did other things like saying that not one letter or stroke of a pen would pass away before it was all fulfilled. He also said that it could not be broken. He also looked for it as a way to combat the devil. When Satan came against him, he used it in battle. Jesus thought very highly of the Bible and then turned to his disciples and said that the Holy Spirit would remind them of the things that he had done and he had said as they would not have him around anymore, but write these letters that we have and know as the New Testament, write them to the people that would come after them. So Jesus both had a high view of the Old Testament and he had an assurance to the people who would write the New Testament that the Holy Spirit would be with them to guide them. Again, we could do more of that, but I think that that is a good starting point and that you can find much knowledge and many seminary classes have been taken in our own church learning about those things. So I would just ask. Next, look how it's inspired. God inspired the Bible. Our text says all scripture is breathed out. Now, when we think about inspired, we think of how God invested himself, how he spoke through the people who actually wrote the scriptures. And there's this coordination there. One, the people are being used, their vocabulary is being used, their experience is being used, their understanding is being used, but God is keeping them from sinning keeping them from lying, keeping them from overemphasizing. He's perfectly working out what they're saying into his perfect words so that it will all communicate what he desires to be communicated. Another interesting thing about this phrase is that all scripture is breathed out, that it is inspired, but pay attention to that word is. It's the present tense right now. 
it's breathed out. Paul could have written that all Scripture was breathed out, right? He could have written how God breathed it out through Moses or God breathed it out through Isaiah. He could have been talking about the past, but he doesn't. He says all Scripture is breathed out. So it's breathed out right now. So as you hold it in your hands this week and as you read it, you should take a moment to think on what does it mean that this is breathed out to me? That it is, it is right now even breathed out. Many of you won't be surprised that I have an illustration from The Hiding Place by Corey Tenboom. Uh, it's a, it's a great book and you should, you should read it. But one of the things that she realizes is in the time where they're reading this to a group full of women who are in a concentration camp, who are being persecuted, who are living through some of the most horrible things that one group of people ever did to another. As they're doing this, they're, they're seeing hope. They're seeing salvation flourish because of the reading of the Bible. And she says at one point that it, it began to, to be hard for her to believe that the words on the page were dry, that it was as if God had just written them and it was waiting for the ink on the page to dry. And I think that's a great, a great picture of what God means here. All scripture is breathed out. It's that, it's that newly penned. In another way, and a, a, a passage from the Bible that is, helps us explain this same thing is Hebrews 4.12, where the author to the Hebrews says that the word is living and active. That's the same point we're getting to here, that the word is living and active. We, when we open it, when we look at it, when we read it, we should view it like that. This is this is alive to us. The Holy Spirit is using this right now to change our lives. And then we can see how this is breathed out by God. And so we should expect more from it because it is breathed out by God. First of all, it has His authority. It is unlike any other book. It has the authority of God. And there's only one book inspired by him. And this, carrying the authority of God, gives us a way to appeal to the Bible in hope and hope of direction, hope of understanding, hope of a, a final person to go to and, and have a standard. So often today we we search for meaning and for someone who actually comes down definitively and says this is right or this is wrong or will tell you what is helpful and what is hurtful. But God has written in the Bible by His own authority these things. His understanding is also present in it. That we are not left with any substandard understanding, but that his perfect understanding is communicated in his word. 
so that we can use it and use it well. This should help us revere the Bible. His authority, the fact that it is from God, should help us revere the Bible. It should help us stand back in awe almost at not only the the letters, the ink being freshly dried, but also its applicability, how much it applies to our life, how important it is, and how many, indeed all areas of life it speaks to. But we'll find out more about this as we continue. God inspired the Bible to prepare. So how are how is he doing this preparation? You see, it says all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuke, correction, and training in righteousness. So how, how are we prepared by reading the Bible, by understanding, by being students of the Bible, listening to the Bible, speaking with others about the Bible? We're prepared in the most profitable way. Remember how the Bible talks about itself. When it compares itself to things of value, it says that it's worth more than silver refined seven times in a furnace on the ground. The most pure type of silver that you could get. It says that it's worth more than gold, even much fine gold. And sweeter also than honey. Now, it is precious, more precious than these valuable items. And then it is even compared to a mother's milk, which is essential for a child, for a baby to have, to grow. It's everything the child needs. It's a full meal. And God compares his word to that. That this is the value of his word. So if we had to say how profitable are these things that he's about to list, how profitable are they? They're the most profitable. They're the way the Bible talks about itself. They are more profitable than anything else. And they are not only most profitable for us as we read, but also for each other as we talk to each other about them. If you want to do the best for someone, if you want to profit, be profitable to someone else in the, the greatest way, then you want to, to speak the words of the Bible. You want to have conversations about the Bible. What more worthy and precious conversation could you have? Not only speaking to yourself, preaching to yourself, but to others as well. So the first one is teaching. So all scripture has been breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. So this is the most profitable kind of teaching. This teaching is straight from God. And we'll see later how broad it is that it teaches us. It teaches us who God is. It teaches us who we are. It teaches us history. 
It teaches us how we are made right with God. It teaches us the future. It teaches us how to get along with others. It teaches us how to please God. These many aspects of teaching are very important to us just just to know, to be familiar with, to review often. But then Paul goes on not to just leave it with teaching, but pairs up rebuke and correction. Rebuke and correction are two aspects of the same, the same idea. Paul has spoken about this before when he talks about putting off and putting on. When you're reproved or rebuked, the Bible is telling you this is what should not be done. This is what should be opposed. This is what you have done wrong. It is like Nathan going to David and drawing a picture to to pinpoint David's heart, what he has done that is evil. And then there is also the second thing, the correction, that is the teaching about what to do now. I know, I know what I've done wrong, but what do I do in light of having done something wrong? I've, you've reproved me, you've corrected me, You've reproved me to put something off. You've corrected me to put something on. Like Paul says in Ephesians 4, you do things like put off stealing and put on generosity. All of these pairs occur in the Bible to help you not only stop the thing that you are trying, the sin that you are trying to combat and fight against, like stealing, but then also to give you something good that will work against that inclination and desire to steal, like generosity. So each of those is, that is just one example of how this is used over and over again. In a broader way, in Romans 13, Paul says, put off the things of this world, put on Christ Jesus. That's the biggest summary that we can get, putting off all the things of the world and putting on Jesus Christ. And then last in this short list is training in righteousness. And I think we can think of training in several ways. One is the training that Paul has mentioned before in 1 Timothy chapter 4 when he says that bodily training is of some benefit, but that godliness is of benefit in every way. So we have a training that is in righteousness, that is profitable in every way. Again, enriching us in every aspect. And then we can look at this book in Second Timothy, how Paul is seeking an end, Quite often training leads to a goal. And Paul says that he has run the race. He has finished his time and he is about to die. So Paul looks towards his death in the future and says, how, how have, how does Timothy need to run well, train well in order to finish the race well? So he, he has been instructing him and tells him that 
This is what the word of God does, is train him. He prepares us for death. So no matter what confusion there might be at the time of death, no matter what hopelessness or darkness or pain there is, Paul is telling us that before that time comes, if you train yourself with the word of God, you will be well prepared for when death comes, that you might die well. I think there's also a sense where this training is training day to day improves the next day. If you've ever trained for anything, you know that it's not training the day before the event. It's training the first day so that you're better the second day and can do better and train more to work on the third day and to build up until you're ready. If we're training like this in righteousness, then we're building on the days before. We're staying steadfast, consistent. We're not taking breaks or vacations because that makes it more difficult for us to grow in righteousness. Next, we can ask ourselves, who is being prepared? We're at the point where God inspired the Bible to prepare us. So exactly who is being prepared, though, when Paul says that the man of God may be complete? The man of God is a term in the Old Testament that's used of prophets, of priests, of those teaching the people of God how to be the people of God and what it means to be the people of God. So in one way, Paul is speaking to Timothy as a pastor. And so we have to take that in one level of this. This is a letter from an apostle to a pastor telling us what that pastor is supposed to be doing. The man of God, this is written, the Bible is written that that man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. But at that point, both the pastor and the Bible have the same goal, to prepare every believer. So, yes, this is written to Timothy, to equip him for every good work. But he's equipped for every good work, and as we'll find out next week, some of those main works are preparing the people with the teaching of the Bible. So God has inspired the Bible for our teachers and for us. And then God inspired the Bible for a purpose. We see this is not the only purpose, but this is the second purpose. Last week in chapter, in verse 15, we saw how the first purpose is that the sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the first purpose, is that the Bible is able to both convict you of sin and show you the way of salvation through Jesus Christ and faith in Him alone. 
But then in verses 17, in verse 17, we see how we are made complete, equipped for every good work. And this is the purpose. It is much like what Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So these works God has set out that we might do them, and he has given us all we need to do them. He has given us his word. He has given us the Holy Spirit. He has given us faith and repentance that we might continue on to do those good works, be fully equipped, fully prepared. So as we come to the last one, God inspired the Bible to prepare us for every good work he expects from us. What is every good work that God expects from us? I think this is almost the most difficult for me to convey. What every good work must mean. I think Paul is being completely truthful here and saying that it is every good work. So what does it mean to have every good work? First of all, there's the completeness to it. Every good work means that there are no good works that the Bible does not prepare you to do. Every one of them. So there is nothing that you can think of that you should do that isn't in the Bible. God has decided the way and the good works that you should do, and he's put them in the Bible. Now, they might be as plain as respecting your mother and father, or they might be as general as loving your neighbor. And some, and the Bible gives many more specifics about how we do those things, but it tells us that that is what we are to do. So nothing since the Bible has been completed is should be on our list of good works to do. They're either in the Bible or they're not a good work for us to do. There are no good works that have been created or discovered, invented, manufactured, that you should do. Now this also tells us that if it is every good work, then the Bible's complete, that it is done, that there was nothing that the Koran or Joseph Smith or Desiring God came up with that is authored to to help you. There's nothing on TV that is going to be able to go beyond what's in the Bible in front of you. You can open your Bible and know that every good work is detailed for you there. So in conclusion... I want to draw some generally practical applications 
to what we've been talking about. I think as we've said it many times up here is there, there should be a priority to reading your Bible. That we should read our Bibles and expect to hear from God. Expect that the fact that it is breathed out is going to, to work in us and through us. That that present tense means something. But then, practically, what if you don't like to read? I've heard people tell me this, that they would read the Bible, but they don't like to read, whether it is because of their history, how comfortable they are with reading, how much effort it takes, how much more other people seem to get out of their reading, and they do not. Well, that shouldn't stop you. I would still encourage you to read your Bible. But some helpful things to also do might be to memorize it. Sometimes we just need to think about it more. And there's no mandate in God's Word on how often you have to read the whole Bible. right? There's not a pace that you have to keep up. If you memorize a few parts of the Bible and know them well, that is better than going through the whole thing quickly and not being able to remember or reflect on it. So memorizing the Bible. How about reading the Bible with someone that you love, whether that be in your marriage or just the love we have for each other in the church? Read with each other. Help each other. Just read the Bible. Or an audio Bible. There are audio Bibles out there now that you can download for free, that you can pay less than some Bibles, uh, about $50 or so for an audio Bible, and listen to it and gain exposure to the Bible at least by, by hearing it over and over again. Another practical question I've heard is what version should I read? And this I'm not going to solve up here except to say that things like the New World Translation you should not read. Probably not the message, but it could have its place. Any of these versions I would be comfortable with, and you can talk more with others to get more insight, but at a bookstore you can open them and compare them. The Christian Standard Bible, and these are the newest versions of all these. That's my disclaimer. The Christian Standard Bible, the New Living Translation, the New American Standard Bible, the English Standard Version, and there are probably others that I'm not familiar with. So if you have one that you think is great and would like to tell me about it, please do. Now, the more concrete things that I just want to remind you of that we mentioned during the preaching, reverence for the Bible, making sure that you set aside time for the Bible, time to expose yourself to God's Word, whether that be mornings or evenings, lunchtime, 
maybe especially on Sundays. Looking, another is looking to the Bible as the only source of authority. Is before you go out and try to figure out what should I do in my next decision, think about what does the Bible say about it? If the Bible is enough for me to figure out every good work, then how should I decide this based on what the Bible says? And now this takes practice, especially with the weightiness of some of the decisions that we have to make. But we can make them as part of a larger community. Talk about them with your family. Talk about them with your church family. Try to figure out how does God detail every good work and how does that apply to this decision I'm making. How about the practical step of memorizing the books of the Bible? I'm still... I have not gotten my kids to do this yet. Uh, I hope there's time. But I think it's it's very practical just in the sense of knowing which books of the Bible are books of the Bible, what order they are so that you can access them and read them, turn to them and follow your cross-references or someone's sermon or someone's teaching. And then another might be the next time you read your Bible, just to spend those few moments considering that the part you're reading is breathed out by God. That God says that all Scripture is breathed out and that even in the moment of your reading, it is breathed out. God inspired the Bible to prepare us for every good work he expects from us. The Bible gives all that the believer needs to know and to understand. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are taught those things and our hearts are changed and our lives given direction that we might please and glorify God. Part of the grace of God is, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, part of this is being given the Bible. But listen to it and understand that that being part, how much God has given to us. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That is the good of the Bible. That is what it is good for. It is the primary instrument used by the Holy Spirit to change our hearts in salvation and to reform our lives into the life of Jesus Christ.